Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode five. It's your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, how are you today? I'm well, Ben. Happy Passover. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I didn't celebrate it, but I appreciate it. Um, uh, Secular we, uh, we, we, that you are. Secular Jew that I am, yeah. We've got, we've got a lot to discuss today. Uh, we're going to be talking about job numbers. We're going to be talking about what happened in Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about Bernie Sanders dropping out of the race. We're going to be talking about Republican talking points, attacking points for Joe Biden. But yeah, so so let's get cracking, Mike. Jobless numbers, what's happening? Well, I'm having deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra used to say, because this morning we learned that 6.6 million Americans filed jobless claims last week, just like the previous week. And then a week before that, 3.3 million Americans filed for jobless claims. So we're up to like 16, 17 million people unemployed over the last three weeks, which means 10% of the working population has lost their job in less than a month. And yet this is the stock market is not the economy part 87,000 because the Dow and the S&P are up more than 2% right now as I speak. A big part of that was the Fed announcing this morning that it'll pump another $2.3 trillion into the economy. It's going to lend to small businesses and also buy junk bonds. So this is just another example of a, a total disconnect between what is actually happening on the ground, i.e. all of these unemployed people, and what is happening in equities because they are just going up and up and up. And I know, you know, the Fed's news this morning is is welcome news, but the fact is we have a serious problem in this country and it's only going to get worse in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, so, so you know, and it's, the, the stock market is so uh, – you try to understand the stock market is, 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 is almost it, – it's impossible to understand it. It's basically um, public perception, right? So it doesn't really have anything to do – uh, with with reality, but actually, what's happening? What a country is making, a, a company is making, whether the product is any good. It's all about perception, <clears throat> and stocks rise and fall based on perception, and that perception changes on a you know day to day basis according to the news cycle. So the news cycle then it, it basically can can upend the stock market. Uh, it basically, whoever is controlling the narrative in the, uh, in the media that day. So if the Fed pumps trillions of dollars into the stock market into the economy, it goes up. You get worse uh, numbers for coronavirus deaths, it goes down. Um, and, it, and again, this is all sort of, um, uh, you know, most of the country don't own stocks and shares. So this is all basically uh, the portfolios of, of, of rich people. So it kind of means it's, it's so abstract and disconnected from people's everyday lives that it kind of, you know, it, 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 it boggles the mind. Um, that it can go up while six point how many million, how many million six point six million people six point six million more yeah yeah it just the disconnect is extraordinary yeah I, I think what you said about perception is absolutely correct if you are a investor or a day trader you're not trying to think of what the correct answer is right you're, this isn't a game of Jeopardy it's more like Family Feud. Jeopardy, you're trying to come up with what the objectively correct answer is. But in a game of family feud, you're asked a series of questions about what 
you know, the mob said in response to a particular question. So absolutely, it is mostly based on perception, uh, which oftentimes is untethered to the underlying reality. And I, that's exactly what we have going on right now. And it's getting kind of crazier and crazier, the valuations. I mean, it, if you look at auto, it's kind of like um, Silicon Valley uh, valuations on tech companies. Um, I think that this was a kind of uh, uh, one of the major sort of um, this is when I started to cotton on to the fact that the stock market was, in fact, insane because you'd get these tech companies that didn't really do anything. You know, there were tech, there was tech companies that were, were do, making cheese sandwiches, grilled cheese sandwiches, right? delivery grilled cheese sandwiches in the Bay Area. And they get like some insane valuation of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm like, wait a second, you're making a cheese sandwich. Like, how how is this? How is this the sort what, of what company was this? I can't remember. This is a news story a while ago, but I remember reading it and thinking, okay, the world has gone insane. That um, must have been some cheese sandwich. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, I, I had a, I, I think I had a grilled cheese sandwich in San Francisco when I last went up there. Uh, it was pretty good, but um, would it? Would the company that made it be worth $100 million? I, I don't know. You know. But this is a big problem with stock valuation these days, is that it just isn't based on reality. It's not based on on, a, on any, any meaningful metric anymore. Price-to-earnings ratios are kind of crazy. So you can get a company that, that earns almost nothing, but the valuation can be extremely high. And that's just based on nothing other than public perception and the news cycle. So, yeah, and now, again, I think that if people aren't kind of worrying about this more now, uh, they they really should be, you know, yeah. Because it's now you, we've now reached kind of peak levels of disconnect where where you can have you can have a, we're about to enter something that's going to be as bad as the as the sort of um, as the Wall Street crash back in the, in the twenties. It's going it's probably going to be that bad. That's the kind of situation that we're facing. But yet the stock market is going up. I am afraid that we've created, and by we I mean the Fed and their enablers in DC have created this atmosphere where. The stock market can only go up, and any hint of a correction, the Fed immediately has to step in, lower interest rates, increase the size of its balance sheet, buying junk bonds like they're doing now in order to grease the stock market. And I'm afraid, like, I'm seeing some rumblings that maybe the next step is the Fed steps in directly to the market and buys stocks, which would be absolutely insane. Um in this sort of climate, I think uh, I, I don't discount anything. I really don't. I mean, they're they're basically printing money, and who knows what this this is not this this is not sound economic. This does not make any sense whatsoever. This is not sound. There's no economic theory that would advocate this kind of behaviour. No sane economic theory that would advocate this kind of behaviour. Yet that's what we're doing. Um, so I think we're kind of in uncharted territory here. Speaking of uncharted territory, uh, we have a presidential campaign without the campaigning because of yes, the pandemic. Strange. And so yesterday, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race. He sus- he suspended his campaign. Uh, so Joe Biden will be the guy. Uh, I mean, I, I, this shouldn't be a surprise to, 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 to most people. I think uh, this was this was on the cards anyway. I, I felt that Bernie should have dropped out a bit sooner. Um, I don't really understand why he stayed in, um, but you know, um, just led to more kind of a little bit more uncertainty than there needed to be. Um, 
I like Bernie Sanders. I think the guy, he's a, he's a great guy. I hope that he uh, um, ha- can be a part of the cabinet. That would be fantastic. Um, if he can, I don't know whether that would happen or not. Uh, I also think that a lot of his ideas are going to be, they're going to seem a lot smarter uh, and more pressing than, than ever now, given the crisis that we're facing. I think we're going to, you know, any government that gets, any any administration is going to have to adopt a lot of what Bernie Sanders has been talking about for, for the last 50 years. Uh, one, would, one would hope, and he deserves he deserves a lot of credit for bringing the Democratic Party leftward yes, on a lot of yeah. issues. Absolutely, no, no. I think he's been um, he's been a, a very positive force in in, in Democratic politics, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy that he you know I'm happy that he ran. I was against him running um, this time around uh, because I thought that he might split the Democratic Party. I, I I never thought he could win, and I thought he might split the Democratic Party, which could have happened, but I think he did a pretty good job of, of making sure that that didn't happen. He's he's been very clear about you know he'll support whoever the nominee is, and I think that's that's good of him. So I think he, his his presence was a, was a, was a welcome one and a positive one. So um, yeah, I, I'm it's a, you know neither the, neither of Bernie or Biden were my first choices at all. So I'm not like massively I wasn't massively excited about either of them. Well, you're not alone because Biden has a very low enthusiasm number. I saw a poll indicating that only 24 percent of his supporters are, quote unquote, enthusiastic about supporting him, which is even lower than Hillary Clinton's number in 2016, which I would think was in the 30s or maybe the 40s. So that is that's a huge problem for Biden. He's going to have to He's going to have to do whatever he can to appeal to people who might otherwise stay home on election day. Yeah, I don't I don't know that that's going to be such an issue this time around. Um, I think that there's a lot of about made about Hillary Clinton, about, about Hillary Clinton's and tears and others. I mean, I think we, we you know, we, we, we forget that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by almost three million people. So so she didn't do so badly uh, in terms of getting people out to vote. And I think that what what matters is are these swing states, you know, and these are basically white, overwhelmingly white uh, centrist states where, you know, with a with an aging voting population. And I think a lot of them will feel fine. And, and these people do come out to vote. And I think that a lot of these people will be absolutely fine voting for Biden. Uh, so I, I'm not worried. I'm not as worried. I'd be more worried about a Sanders nomination than than, than I am about Biden. I'd be much more worried if Bernie Sanders was the nominee. Well, I put me in the I'm worried camp. I'm not saying Biden's going to lose. I'm not saying that Biden would definitely uh, that uh, Bernie would definitely win in a general election. Mm. I am just thinking of what will be coming Biden's way in the general election that he did not get in the primary, really. So get oh, ready. It's going to be vicious. It's going to be yeah. real vicious. Yeah. So get ready for a whole lot of talk, as well as some Senate subpoenas about Hunter Biden and his do nothing job on the board at Burisma. There's going to be a lot of talk about all of the the votes, and there had there was some talk about Biden's past votes for like the crime bill and his policy on busing in the 70s. That's going to come back tenfold. I don't think I don't his, think his Iraq war gonna, vote. I don't, I don't think any of that stuff is going to going to like the 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 some of his votes 
and the the busing stuff. I don't think anyone's going to give a shit about that because yeah, he, no, not the, already, you're you're right, not not the busing thing. But he the my point is that he's got a very long voting record that is ripe for picking and attacking, yes. and Trump is going to have a field day, and also. It would have been worse. It would have been worse than Bernie. It would have been way worse than Bernie. I, 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 I don't know about that because because Bernie has been so consistent, whereas Biden has had to disavow a number of his positions. So Iraq war right, would be it's, one. It's, uh, the bankruptcy sorry, sorry, bill. The, the bankruptcy bill would be another one. But these um, are liberal. These are liberal talking points. This is how you attack him from the left. Um, and 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 I think the thing is, that I I. Uh, I I listened a lot to uh, Rick Wilson, the guy who was the sort of, um, we talked about him on the podcast before, right? Rick Wilson, mm-hmm. kind of the dirty tricks uh, Republican campaign guy who now, who is now kind of come over to the Democratic side because he hates Trump. Uh, and I was listening, I was listening to a segment that he did. I can't remember what, what show it was on, but he was talking about what he said, look, you know, we'd be most, what as a Republican, You'd most like you'd want to run against Bernie Sanders because you can attack him. Um, it's harder to attack Biden from the right because Biden has done a lot of things that the right liked. So it, it's harder to attack. It's harder to attack him from from you know the, the Trump position, like the things like um, you know busing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Donald Trump's not going to go anywhere near that because you know that plays into his you know white voters like that kind of thing. So it, it won't, that won't work. Uh, so I think that well, where I think Biden is vulnerable is the is the is the Hunter Biden stuff, uh, and I think potentially the Tara Reid thing as well could be could be an issue for him. Yeah, Donald Trump is going to make a lot of hay out of the Tara Reid accusation. Maybe obviously, maybe. obviously Trump is is worse when it comes to his relationships with women and his behavior toward women. Shameless. Obviously, so way okay. But yeah, you you covered this. You wrote a piece for the newsletter that came out yesterday, I believe it was. And if if you want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, you'd only really know about this story if you'd been paying attention to a lot of kind of fringe publications, uh, a lot of hard left or hard right uh, publications, because most other media outlets have stayed away from this story. But I, when I heard about the Tara Reid accusation, so the accusation was that this, this woman called Tara Reid worked for Biden in the Senate in the early 90s uh, and then claimed that he uh, sexually assaulted her. Uh, this was an accusation that she made this year. She she had a different version of the story last year, and this year, she said she changed the story and said that in fact Biden had um, uh, pushed her up against the wall and digitally, quote unquote, digitally penetrated her, um, tried to kiss her, and then fired her from her Senate job. So I'd heard I heard about this. It was taking off on 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 Twitter. With some of the people that I follow, I'm not on Twitter that much. Um, but this was like everybody, every all the kind of left wing outlets were talking about this. So I did some research into it, and I, first of all, I, I you know I heard the story, and I just thought, okay, this sounds this sounds le- like it's legitimate. You know, like this is this is really this is really creepy, and you know, Biden is not. You know, my my heart sunk. I thought, you know, okay, yeah, we've got this guy. Here's another one. We've got another kind of sex pest or sexual predator uh, um, running for the White House. But I did some more research into it, 
uh, the more I looked into it, the more you look into Tara Reid's character, the more unreliable it, it, she becomes as, as, a, as a witness. Um, so I, the piece I wrote in the banter in the members section, which I just talked about this, about how, and also looking at why mainstream publications are staying away from this this story, because basically she's she's not she's just not credible. It's not a credible story. The story's changed too many times, and her entire her character is is so all over the place that it would be impossible to sort of tell what she's telling the truth about. So I, my personal rule is that Biden should get the benefit of the doubt on this one. N- nevertheless, it means he definitely this could be a point of vulnerability. I don't agree. I don't disagree with anything you just said. However. When I think back to the Me Too movement, which hit its Mm. peak like two years ago, one of the big things about that was believe women. So if a a woman came forward with an accusation of sexual assault, she was to be believed automatically. Now, Mm. I never really ascribed to that notion. I mean, chances are if any woman comes forward with an accusation along those lines, she's telling the truth because mm. I mean, I think there've been studies done on this, something like more than 90% of, of sexual assault accusations have some merit to them. So statistically, if a woman comes forward, there's a pretty good chance that she's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I, the, agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Right. But, but so now this puts, so the whole believe women thing this puts liberals who ascribe to that in an awkward, if not very hypocritical position here. So again, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with any of your observations about this situation. Yes, she did change her story. But on the other hand, this seems to go directly against what some of the same people who are now dismissing, Bi- dismissing Biden's accuser uh, yeah. are saying. And so, and, and let's face it, let's both admit, again, I'll preface this by saying I want Biden to beat Trump. I, I, I yeah. we need this guy out of here. But yeah. if this woman were coming forward against Trump, this would be everywhere. It, it would be. It would be. Yeah. I. You know. Look. I still think except Fox News and Breitbart. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, no. I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think that a lot of like you know uh, serious journalists would look into this woman and see what her, what is her story, uh, how credible a person is she, and I think that given the fact that this is the only woman who's accused Biden of sexual assault, he's been accused of handiness and kind of like slightly creepy behaviour, which is on. You can see this footage. You can actually see Biden being creepy with women. Right. Um, I like all over YouTube, you know, can, you can, you can, and it is, it's weird, you know, he's like an old, old, you know, he's a, he's an old guy and and he doesn't understand personal boundaries. Like, you know, like I think, I don't know how much of that is that he's actually a creep or that is just from a bygone era um, where that kind of thing was acceptable. I know several old, you know, several gr- grandfathers when I was growing up, I knew who were kind of like that. Um, who were just a bit weird. You know, they were kind of like, we would regard them, it'd be completely inappropriate the way they behaved um, now, but they're kind of old, so you just thought, okay, yeah, it's creepy Uncle Bob, you know? But, uh, you know, so you can see what the kind of behaviour that he exhibits, which is, I, I, yeah, I think it's not acceptable, uh, particularly in the modern era, like, he, he, that he doesn't get, he has a, a good grasp of boundaries or personal space. 
uh, which he's, you know, it, 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 to his, in his defense, he said, like, he's acknowledged it and said that, you know, he's something that he will, you know, he will respect uh, going forward. Um, but she's the only person who has claimed uh, that he sexually assaulted her. Um, I think it's someone with a long public record like Joe Biden. There you, first of all, you'd probably have more cases like that. You'd have other cases of um, women coming forward to talk about that kind of thing. Uh, and there aren't any. Um, so now that it's only just one person, it's like, okay, okay, well, let's look into this person. Let's have a look. What, what is she saying? And what is it? What is her character? How has the story changed? Are the changes serious? And the more you look into it, the more it's just the whole thing falls apart. It's not good. It's not a coherent story at, at all. And I think that mainstream outlets avoided it because of that, because they just looked at it. And thought, I mean, it, it's, it tells you something that Fox News hasn't gone anywhere near this. Like, yeah, and I, I, I get your point about the um, liberal hypocrisy. But I, I think that, you know, did you see the, um, the Neil deGrasse Tyson story? Uh, a couple of years ago? Yeah, when he was yes. accused of, um, of what, what one, one woman accused him of um, inappropriate sort of behavior, and another woman accused him of rape while, they were, while he was in college. And I think I wrote a piece on this back then. Um, but if you look at the, you know, so I, I obviously very upsetting, really like uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, think he's great. So I was like, okay, well, this this sucks. So that, well, I looked into the the two accusers, and I I felt that the the one the inappropriate one was was completely valid. Um, and then you, I looked into the other one, the the accusation of rape, and the woman who was accusing him of rape was, I mean, she was not, she was clearly not very well. I'm not necessarily saying she was lying, but you, I couldn't, you couldn't necessarily take her seriously as a witness because there were just too many inconsistencies and her, it, it was just, it, she was too strange. So you just think that, okay, well, maybe he did it, but there's no way that I can tell f- from this woman's account of it because it, she, I just don't find her to be a credible witness. Right. And that's the problem with being told to automatically believe someone when they Mm. accuse someone else of something. It's like person A accuses person B of this. And Mm. suddenly it's on me to believe person A, even though I don't know either of these people. I wasn't there at the time of this alleged incident. I just don't. Why am I being asked to weigh in on this? And if I if I don't automatically say that oh yeah okay if I believe person A that I'm somehow part of the problem and I think a bad person yeah, yeah yeah and I think I think this is just an illustration like if if so if you believe that Biden's accuser is is lying or misremembering or is being inconsistent um, you're not you're not following the the believe women thing but the fact of the matter is I mean. It's just it's I think it's irresponsible to come right out and say, oh, yes, she's 100 percent right. This happened. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I I think like, for example, like the Brett Kavanaugh thing, I felt that that was credible. I thought I I felt that she was a very credible witness. And do I know what happened? I, 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 of course, I don't know what happened, but I felt that she was a credible witness. And I felt that, that, you know, it it should be taken seriously and she should testify. And then um, I wish she did. And, you know, personally, I thought that she was telling the truth. 
I had no reason to disbelieve um, uh, what was her name, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Blasey Ford. Yeah, I had no reason to to not believe her. But um, you know, I, I think again, it's you've got to do these things by. But I didn't just. I wouldn't just believe her automatically. You, you know, I don't just think like, okay, she has to be telling the truth. Um, I think that it needs to. You know, you need to vet these things. You need to look into each one and take it seriously. Um, that, which is what what I hope I did with the um, Tara Reid situation. I felt I, I I tried to give a very honest um, take on it um, and and give her a fair shake. Uh, just unfortunately, I don't think that I, I just felt it was you know there were just way too many inconsistencies and far too many um, just there's just too many oddities there to, for it to make any sense. I found uh, I your I, I found your article well-argued and quite measured. And if you had written that two years ago, and this was going on two years ago, you would be in deep fucking trouble with the Twitterati. Yeah, pro- pro- quite, quite, quite possibly, you know, quite possibly. And I think that everybody kind of like, and myself included, got very much caught up in that whole um, movement uh, because I think there was such an outpouring of of like, hidden trauma and abuse that had been going on for years and years and years that like people hadn't really talked about um that there was a sort of a kind of national meltdown or global meltdown almost where where it was like all this stuff was uncovered and all of a sudden it kind of like there was it swung too far in one direction yeah you went like not believing not believing women enough or survivors of sexual assault to believing everybody, you know, and I think, you know, now hopefully we can kind of like find some balance here and just judge each one according to the merits um, with, with, you know, while being very sympathetic to people who are coming forward about this stuff. Cause I, you know, like, as you said, I was it like, there's some, you know, 90% probably. Yeah. Anyway. Can so yeah, I, I think that you know to get, get back to that point quickly, just about is this going to hurt Biden? Maybe, but I I I, I would hope that you know uh, I I think that the more that this if this woman Tara Reid gets uh, wheeled out in public, um, I think it you know I would feel sorry for her because she's going to get absolutely destroyed uh, by by everyone. You know, it's not going to be good, and she seems like a very uh, you know. I don't know what your thoughts of her, of her as a person, but she seems like a bit of an attention seeker. So, who who wouldn't quite be prepared for the the media onslaught? I hope for her sake that it doesn't happen. I don't think it will be. I think if anyone comes off badly in this, it's going to be Tara Reid. Can we talk about uh, Republicans and their evil fuckery in Wisconsin? In a nutshell, Wisconsin Republicans are rat bastards. They held a primary on Tuesday, despite the ongoing pandemic, which has caused other states to postpone their elections. And it basically happened because it it happened because Republican legislators and judges in Wisconsin are power sluts who are shameless and they will do anything to maintain their hold on power in the state. So Mm. the Saturday before the election, the Republican-dominated state legislature refused to consider a, the Democratic governor's proposal to cancel all in-person voting, and instead of that, they would send mail-in ballots to all voters who hadn't already requested mail-in ballots 
so that they could vote by mail instead of gathering in public in the middle of a goddamn pandemic. Sounds sensible, right? Well, yes, you, but, you, would, you, would, you would think that you'd want to keep people away from other people during the pandemic. Well, not Republicans in Wisconsin, because they told Governor uh, Tony Evers, I just learned it's actually pronounced Evers, it, it's spelled Evers, but it's Evers, mm-hmm. uh, they told him to take a hike, and that they weren't going to consider that proposal at all, and that voting will go on as planned. And that caused him to postpone the election until June 9th. This obviously Mm. pissed off the Republicans in the legislature. They appealed in court. The Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned the governor's order and said, no, you have to have the election on Tuesday. Separately, so, so, and now this is another thing. The United States Supreme Court blocked a deadline extension that Wisconsin had put in place for those who are casting mail-in ballots. These are the people who had actually requested the mail-in ballots. Mm. So there was concern that because of like all of, you know, everything is, that's going on, that the people who requested mail-in ballots um, would not be able to meet the April 7th, I believe it was, um, postmark deadline. Which, which was on Tuesday. And so I believe it was Evers who extended the deadline. And this was at a time, this is as of Saturday, by the way, 12,000 of those mail-in ballots that had been requested had not even been sent by the state. So, or, or the counties or wh- whoever sends them out in Wisconsin. So 48 hours before the election, you've got 12,000 people who haven't even received their ballots that they had requested. And so the Supreme Court blocked a I think it extended the the deadline for a week. The Supreme Court stepped in and blocked that. This is the U.S. Supreme Court, not the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So we're not going to know the vote tallies for maybe a week, but it's a safe bet to say that turnout is going to be lower than it has been in less pandemic-y times. And of course, the the situation on the ground on Election Day was a total disaster, uh, which was known ahead of time because poll workers had had made it known to the Elections Commission that they would not report to their polling stations. And and you can understand why, because you don't want to be in the same room. Fucking pandemic, yeah. Yeah. It, you're going to have hundreds, if not thousands of people coming in and out of the room that you're in over the course of a day casting votes. And y- you can understand why they don't want to be there. And right. so the number of polling stations that were actually opened in a lot of places was drastically low. You had in Milwaukee, Milwaukee usually has 180 or so polling locations open. On Tuesday, it had five open. Green Bay usually has 31. On Tuesday, it had two open. And, and, and wasn't there a discrepancy in in, um, uh, in, in where these there were more open in the suburbs where more white people are and less open in black areas. That that may have been the case because you'll you'll notice that we're talking about, you know, Milwaukee, Green Bay, and also Waukesha, another city, a city of seventy-two thousand, had one polling station open for a city of seventy-two thousand people. Obviously not all of them are voters, but still tens of thousands of them are gonna be voters. And to have those people over the course of, what, 12 hours or so vote in a single polling location. And we saw the lines. 
the lines were and good good for these people they were practicing social distancing so mm. technically the lines were longer foot wise than they than they would otherwise be but people had to wait in line for hours to cast votes in these places and so you can only imagine how many people like you know went to go actually vote and they see how long the line is and they're like you know what I'm on my lunch break. I, I don't have two hours, three hours, five hours, whatever it is to spare. And so Republicans knew this would happen. They don't like democracy. They don't like a lot of people voting because when a lot of when more people vote, Republicans tend to do poorly, not all the time, but that's just how it is. And so they were willing to go to the courts to force an election in a pandemic and say, hey, you know what? I know you're my constituents. But if you want to cast a vote in this election, you're going to have to physically show up in a crowded place in order to cast a vote. And we know the results of this will be predictable. People will catch coronavirus as a result of this. People will die. Who knows how many? It's going to be very hard to tell. But it really strains credulity to think that this will result in absolutely no additional cases because you basically forced thousands of people across the state to gather and congregate and yes, social distance the best they can. But this was, this was just an election that should have never happened. Never happened. Yeah. It was, a, I it, mean, it was a travesty and pretty soon we're going to find out it was it, a tragedy. How bad it was. Yeah. I mean, what are the, it's a, this is kind of a preview about what, of what's to come because Wisconsin is super important in the 2020 election. It, it's a very, very important swing state and Republican fuckery, um, I think we just got to come to expect that. We've got to come to expect massive amounts of Republican fuckery in the 2020 election. Fuckery, indeed. I mean, this is this was deliberate evil fuckery, okay, by yeah. Republicans who, as as soon as it becomes politically inconvenient, this whole idea of sanctity of life gets tossed in the toilet. Like, sorry, you know, it's like that. You know who the the, the quintessential Republican is? It's this guy named Scott DeJarlais who represents one of the districts in Tennessee, in the U.S. House of Representatives. This is a guy, he's very pro-life, but he, he had a mistress. He was, he was the head of a hospital. He slept with one of his patients. He encouraged her to get an abortion and all this stuff. And yet he's still pro-life. And, and somehow the people of his district keep renominating him during the primaries and keep re-electing him to Congress. And I just think... Like that guy, he's just perfect. He's just the poster boy of the Republican Party. Yeah, I I always am am amazed at how brazen these guys are. Like the the sort of dickishness is extreme, and yet they people still vote for them. I don't I don't get it. I, like I I really have a I struggle understanding why any sane person would want to vote for one of these monsters. I mean, they are really monsters. You know, I don't really know any other way to describe it. I mean, brazen assholes. Any theories as to what I, I, I don't know. I still baffles me. I don't understand. I mean, uh, well, I think we're seeing this in Trump and in his base. So how many times have we heard a Trump supporter say, I don't agree with what he said or I wouldn't have done it that way or he's an imperfect human, but he votes this way and that way on the things that are important to me. 
And it's almost like his personal behavior, his his adultery, the sexual assault al- allegations against him don't matter. Mm. It's like they can they his, his supporters have thrown the whole idea of character counts out the window mm. because these are the same people who in the 90s were all about character counts. Bill Clinton is a man of ill repute and all this stuff. Now they've kind of shifted and said, well, you know, yeah, he is Impact. not a great guy, but as long as he's appointing pro-life judges and giving tax cuts and all that stuff, uh, I'm on board. I, I don't. I don't. It, it, you know, I guess that's the job of Fox News, really, isn't it? The job of Fox News is to, and people like Sean Hannity, is to try to make somebody like Trump palatable to religious conservatives. You know, people who would have found him to be disgusting, and how they can basically rebrand and repackage him into in, into some, something palatable, something that they can get behind. I mean. I feel that like Sean Hannity was one of the kind of he, he this this guy is like a marketing he's a marketing genius like he really does he really does understand his audience and how you frame things to make it fit in with you know you can take reality and twist it any you know in a, in a number of ways and and Sean Hannity is just very very good at twisting reality uh, and and sort of transcribing it to his his uh, neanderthal followers who then you know feel justified in you know voting for somebody like trump i mean it's quite interesting to see what they're doing now with the whole coronavirus thing i mean now that it's been sort of an unparalleled disaster i mean what's the death toll today the death toll it's i know it's above ten thousand now in the u.s in the u yeah in the u.s it's i think we're approaching 14 or 15,000, rather. 15,000, uh, 15, right? I mean, it's worth noting that in China, it was 3,000. This is where the virus broke out, and the virus and the death toll in China was 3,000. And we're at 14,000, and we haven't even started yet. Right? I think China might be underreporting a little bit, but... but probably I, not by that. Yeah, probably not by that, because they took some very serious measures to crack down on that, because it's just, you know, the their draconian ways of dealing with that are, mm. it almost comes naturally to that government. Yeah. You know, so but it is meanwhile, a us. Excitement of how badly of how badly the U.S. has dealt with this situation. But, you know, if you look at all the kind of right wing blowhards and how they're translating, how how are they now telling this story to their supporters that Trump, who was going to keep everybody safe and he was the greatest president ever, ever um, and how he's actually done a great job on this. Watching them try to figure out how to twist this is, is is really really interesting. I haven't seen what Sean Hannity's been doing recently, um, so I'm going to have to study up on Sean Hannity's tactics. But I know what the the sort of current talking point going around GOP circles is that you know China needs to foot the bill for this. They're now just going back to blaming China for all of this, They're saying oh you know China needs to pay for this, and it's not Trump's fault. It's actually China's fault, and it's the was it Tucker, Tucker Carlson was saying that healthcare bureaucrats were the problem? Yeah, he he was blaming people at the CDC. Uh, this I, we mentioned this briefly last week. He was yeah. blaming the the experts for being wrong at the CDC for um, having flawed coronavirus tests, which is is accurate. But then he used that as a launching pad to cast doubt on all experts, and he said basically. It's not the experts' jobs to make decisions. This is a democracy, which is a really messed up thing to say right now. Right, right. I mean, he, Tucker Carlson is kind of at the—he's at the sort of higher end of the intellectual justification for Trumpism. 
Um, and, and, but Sean Hannity is the kind—he's the guy for the masses. You know, he's the guy for the rank and file uh, Republicans, the sort of knee, the, the, the knee-jerk ignoramus kind of um, right. subset that, that go out that will go out and vote. Or, or, you know, I think Tucker Carlson's role at Fox News is he's trying to get the, the swing voters. He's trying to make Trump palatable to the swing voters, uh, to independents. And Sean Hannity is there to just make sure that uh, they have talking points. Tucker Carlson went to all these fancy private schools, and Tucker Carlson's full name is Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson. You know, just like the common man. Just yeah, like common yeah, of course. <laughs> By the way, the, the Swanson in that is of uh, Swanson Frozen or TV dinner fame. I think his, his mom or his stepmom was the heiress to that whole thing. Oh, yeah. He, he comes from real money, Tucker Carlson. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that means you know you know he has the people's best interests at heart. I know what a what a genius job that he's done of kind of now marketing himself as the everyman. Um, he's out there looking at, looking after the little guy. This is an unfathomably wealthy billionaire, not billionaire. But he's a, he's a multi millionaire who comes from a multi millionaire family. This guy is about as far away from the everyman as you could possibly imagine. Um, and now he's, he's nightly spearded, you know, he's out there like battling against the sort of Washington elite and the, the, the establishment uh, politicians and blah, 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 blah. I mean, what a, what a con artist that guy is. He, he's a sophisticated one. I'll give him that. He's a sophisticated con artist. Can we talk about Tom Friedman's proposal oh, yeah. in his last please. column? Please, please, please. This is a great one. This is a Tom Friedman special. Yeah, so we're going to end things on a light note. Tom Friedman, longtime New York Times columnist, famously cannot complete a coherent metaphor. He is just a hack writer. <laughs> he's he, been he wrong. really is bad, yeah. He he's been wrong so many times. I mean, this guy, he's a neoliberal to his core. He's a corporate centrist with a a veneer of uh, leftism. And so he proposed in his latest column that in these trying times, what is really needed in this country is a Joe Biden national unity cabinet. And that's that's a big if for reasons we've discussed, you know, Joe Biden winning the election. I hope he does, but still a big if. But anyway, this column is so on brand for Friedman. It hurts. Uh, it, it's like a corporate centrist wet dream. And it should even be called the corporate wet dream cabinet because it's just an orgy of bipartisan, pro-corporate pragmatism. And his picks are just mostly famous politicians and rich people who have been in the news over the last few years. Like a a couple of them make sense, like appointing Elizabeth Warren to oversee coronavirus spending. Now, assuming there's any money left by the time a Biden presidency begins, that would be good. But others, like so many of these other picks, he's got... Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer as VP, like fine, I guess. Pundits are obsessed with with Midwesterners and their like broader appeal, allegedly. Um, he's got Merrick Garland as Attorney General, Mitt Romney as Secretary of State, Barf, Mike Bloomberg as Treasury Secretary, gross. I guess because he, he's got a lot of money, so that must mean he's good with money and the Treasury's where the money is, like. Uh, He wants Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine to lead the Office of Management and Budget. He he wants the former uh, CEO of American Express, Ken Chennault, to be the Commerce Secretary. He wants Bill Gates to be his 
or Biden's uh, Health and Human S- uh, Services Secretary. Um, and then he, he also had to, he had to put the Bill Gates in there, didn't he? He had to get Bill Gates. Yeah, right? yeah of course, of course. Th- you know, it, this reads like a like a, a politically astute ten year old's ideal cabinet. Cabinet, but he's also. He also proposes the creation of a national infrastructure department, and he says the perfect person to oversee this is Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. So Friedman, and there are so many like him who feel like the nation would somehow be done a disservice if titans of industry were left out of a presidential cabinet. Oh, 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 and he he, he says that uh, Laureen Powell Jobs... Steve Jobs' widow uh, should be education secretary, and who, by the way, she's got even more money than Betsy DeVos, who is the current education secretary. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like Betsy DeVos, I'm not sure Lorene Powell Jobs ever went to a public school. She went to Wharton and Stanford. I don't know what she did before that. I mean, the lack of imagination is just, that's what gets me about this. It's just the, the, the astonishing lack of imagination. Where he thinks he's being imaginative. This is Tom Freeman having a genius moment. You know, this is him thinking, you know, him being super clever and like thinking he's being imaginative about how you could save the country. Um, but it's just, yeah, it really is. It's the sort of like he's he is one of the world's worst economists. Yeah, he really is. Um, I, I used to love reading. Um, who used to do really good takedowns of him? Matt Taibbi and uh, Oh yeah. Hawker. Hamilton Nolan did some hilarious takedowns of uh, of, Gord, of uh, uh, Tom Friedman. It's kind of easy picking, I suppose. It's so bad. Uh, he's so bad. So yeah. don't read that column. We suggest reading it. Or, or no, no, don't read it unless no. unless you just want your eyes to roll and roll and roll in your head. But I think another thing that might be a play here is like Friedman. His his wife is the heiress to uh, of a shopping mall a shopping mall empire. And I'm looking at right now, Friedman's uh, father-in-law at the time of his death, I guess he was worth $1.2 billion. So maybe that explains why he is so sympathetic to billionaires. But you mentioned Taibbi and his takedowns of Friedman. And I think he, he summed it up perfectly. I'm going to see if I can pull it up here it's about his butchering of, of metaphors which i think is just amazing yeah no th- there was that but there was this one okay taibi in one of his like better takedowns uh, i mean they're all great but what if, in one of his best takedowns of friedman says and he's talking about friedman's what he does is he, he goes around the world on i guess the new york times dime he goes to like india and china and all these other places and he sees like Oh, look at this call center in Bangalore. This is evidence of, you know, globalism working and all that, while he ignores the hundreds of millions of other Indians, for example, who are living in abject poverty. Those are people he just doesn't talk to. But Taibi put it this way. He said, this is Friedman's life. He flies around the world, eats pricey lunches with other rich people, and draws conclusions about the future of humanity by looking out his hotel window and counting the Applebee's signs. Yeah, that sums it up pretty pretty well. That yeah, I think so. Pretty well. Anyway, on on that note, I think we will we'll leave it till uh, till next week. Again, thanks everyone for listening. And you can follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Anchor. You, Mike, uh, your 
your website, newdealdemocrat.com, which is great. You've got a new article out, which is a, a very good piece. About the Wisconsin election fuckery we discussed. Yep. Also, band members. If you want to become a band member, get access to all of our premium content. You can go to thebanter.substat.com and you can sign up. You can either get the free version of the of the newsletter or the paid version. Um, if you click on any of the articles, you can usually get a discount code there. We're running a 50% off membership at the moment, so you can do that. Just click on any of the free articles and you should find a, a, uh, a nice red button that you can press with a discount code on it. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Take care.